setting up the 18th AFL franchise in a region not familiar with the code was never going to be easy. Strong leadership was going to be required to face the challenges that came along in the early years of growth and transformation. The Leaders podcast speaks with the people who've shaped this club and have helped play key roles the club has grown from not just a men's football team, but to now include an AFL women's side as well as Giants netball. When people speak of a football club, they often think of kicks and handballs, but the Giants have quickly grown to be so much more than that. Welcome to The Leaders. On today's episode, award-winning journalist and Giants recruiter Emma Quayle sits down with Chief Executive David Matthews, one of the most highly regarded sports administrators in the country. Dave, thanks for coming along. Pleasure, Emma. I want to know a little bit about how you how you got to be up here, how it all started for you with the Giants. Yeah, sure. I think in my old role as General Manager Development uh, on the AFL Executive, we were all heavily involved in developing both the Suns and the Giants, and there was a few ways we did that. I, um, I was asked to chair the football subcommittees for um, GC17, and then later Team GWS, uh, and Andrew Dillon and I sort of coordinated the list establishment uh, committee. So basically a lot of people on the AFL exec at the time were given various um, responsibilities, I guess, as we tried to uh, put all the components together for the two new clubs. So early on I was probably pretty involved with the Gold Coast and then a year later doing similar sorts of things for the Giants. Uh, and then Andrew Demetrio at one stage uh, asked me would I do my national role uh, out of New South Wales to be sort of close to the Giants and the Suns and also close to the Swans. Um, so, yeah, we were coming up and back for three years uh, and then uh, there was a change in, in leadership after Dale Holmes had, had got the, uh, the start-up phase underway. Um, I came in, I think, Melbourne Cup Day 2011. Yeah, okay. What about, so obviously when you're setting up brand new organisations, like every decision is is going to play a part in shaping where that footy club goes and what it is and what it stands for and all those sorts of things. Were there two or three sort of key things that you guys focused on when you were establishing everything that you thought were really, really important to to getting it right? Yeah, I think so. I think oh, a, lot of, a lot of it comes down to people. You make, you make good and bad decisions in relation to people whether it's who you're recruiting or who you're appointing to various roles but you know I think at the time when we made a decision uh, when it was still um, uh, GWS uh, in the TAC Cup we made a decision to uh, install Kevin Sheedy as the inaugural coach and uh, that proved a critical decision because uh, he had nothing to prove he didn't come up here with any other uh, agenda other than to try to grow this club and the resilience that he instilled across the playing group and also the staff uh, was phenomenal. Don't and ever let any club or player dominate you at a ball, at a stoppage, in the air or on the ground. That is the essence of simple, bloody, basic football. Now let's get it going. I think... Yeah, the decision to chase down Tony Shepard and ask him to uh, take on the chairman's role um, has been 
you know, very, very successful because he can open any door in Australia and he's a, he's a builder of, of um, you know, businesses or infrastructure projects. So it was a natural for him. And, you know, the, the story at the time was that D- Dale Holmes uh, convinced Tony Shepherd to take on that role by writing his obituary and reading it to him and it was basically along the lines of you know Tony Shepard's done a lot of things in business but one of the things he did very successfully was build this club so you know, that that was very clever from from Holmes at the time you know we appointed Alan McConnell as a first ever employee and I think uh, given uh, his track record in developing young players at Geelong and then developing players for the AOS Academy um, you know he's a natural to take on the first group of the Giants and then Sheeds came in and Mark Williams came in. Uh, the appointment of Gabby Allen was critical. He knew what winning was about. Uh, he knew what developing a club in a difficult market was about. So, you know, the experience in Mel- the people have in Melbourne clubs is very, very different to what happens in New South Wales and Queensland. But then, you know, the, the other two or three things that are very, very important to infrastructure, getting uh, a boutique stadium, spotless stadium as it is now, getting $60 million invested into that was enormous. And this training base at West Connect Centre, um, in a lot of ways, um, has just been fundamental to our player retention. So there's a whole heap of decisions. You make some bad ones, you make some good ones, but uh, hopefully we've made more good ones than bad. Well, and you've got to adjust on the on the run, I suppose, because initially, did you think that the team would like would be Blacktown and that would be it, or was that something that, as things, you know, started to happen and and took place, you realised we we got to get got to get somewhere else we've heard all the stories about the boys training on the, the baseball diamond and yeah. and all that sort of stuff in the early days um and to have this facility here now is obviously incredible for them but yeah how did that all come about yeah so the the original vision was certainly a, a training base a, a significant training base at blacktown and the issue was not at all uh blacktown blacktown's actually uh you know a really big membership base for us close to a thousand members uh, very passionate fans. We've still got an academy, obviously, there, and we do a lot of player appearances and other things. But the fundamental problem we had at Blacktown was we had two ovals and they were both shared with cricket. Um, so we needed to access one. And the idea of not being able to, in the summer months, um, have a permanent base to train on was proving very difficult. Um, the big regional development funding pot that the federal government had at the time, which was looking to support the development of something substantial in Blacktown, uh, didn't quite come to pass. And really that footprint of land, um, I remember a lot of the players on our list uh, visited AC Milan's training base uh, when they are on the academy. And that was the sort of model that you could imagine. you just got this enormous piece of land that um, uh, is, is ripe for development. But at the time... Not being able to do a deal with cricket was probably the biggest issue. Um, still got a very strong presence in Blacktown, but we pretty quickly had to make a call that we could uh, effectively acquire uh, what was the golf driving range at the time at Sydney Olympic Park. So it was a pretty innovative solution to the problem. It was, uh, let's get hold of this golf driving range and, and put a footy ground on it. And and we attracted some funding. I think in the end we put it together for about $12 million, which is probably a third of the cost of the any other development that AFL clubs are doing at the moment. But it's it's an unbelievable layout. It's allowed the players to live anywhere in Sydney. It's proximate to Spotless. It's great. 
How'd you find it? We were just like doing laps of Olympic Park. Well, or? yeah, at the time, again, I was with the AFL at the time when we made the decision on Sheeds and also we made the decision on here. Um, uh, I was trying to help Dale at the time and also Joe LaPosta who's the facilities guy at New South Wales. We basically got in the car and drove around and said, what other footprint is there? Uh, and we realised that uh, in the SOPA development uh, master plan that this ground or this golf driving range was earmarked to become a community oval at some point. Um, so we just sort of swooped in. I remember ringing Andrew Demetrio and Gillen and said, you know, I think we've found something here. Um, but it's it's currently in the hands of a private golf range developer uh, and we're going to need to buy the lease and do all these sorts of things. So um, we work really closely with uh, Gil on, on that particular deal, but um, it's been just brilliant for the club. And I think, you know, in relation to Blacktown and all the other areas in Western Sydney, what matters most, as we've always said, is where we do our player appearances and our community work, where the players train and how they're prepared uh, needs to be absolutely elite, and that's what we've got here. Yeah, okay. What about keeping the group together? Obviously, we've we've lost guys over the over the years, but keeping a fundamental core of players together, how crucial has that been for this club? Not only in winning games, maybe these things are tied together, but creating some continuity and culture and guys sort of passing the baton to others as they come through. They're probably linked, but has that been... Has that been pretty crucial? Oh, it's critical. I think we've... I've always maintained that the list establishment rules that a, a lot of the clubs uh, later sort of complained about, they're really only as strong as your ability to retain the players. You've obviously got to make good decisions uh, and make sure that you're picking people like Stephen Cornelio and Josh Kelly and others, but you've actually got to... Uh, yeah, then, the, then the retention becomes a factor of what's the environment you're creating, what's the prospect of winning... Um, you know how, how are they finding you know the the leadership they have on and off the field and you know we've been very very pleased with our ability to retain the players that we've been able to bring in and particularly early on when you're thinking that they're training as you say from time to time on baseball diamonds and moving around different parts of Sydney to find ovals you know it was, it was pretty uh, transient and also um, you know you, you're dealing with all the issues that uh, a club like the Swans might deal with anyway which is homesickness and other things so I think it was Geraldine Sheedy who first identified Breakfast Point as a place where she thought uh, her and Kevin could live and they moved up and Gabby Allen pretty quickly parlayed that into thinking actually this could be a US college style setup. Uh, and then you've got Craig and Melissa Lambert who come along and basically act as quasi parents and to set up effectively what was like a US college I think developed a very very strong bond amongst those boys from day one uh, their parents and player managers knew that they were getting a level of care from the likes of the Lamberts and the Allens and others that was as good as you could get in Australian sport so that culture very early on was incredibly strong. Did you think it would become sort of the rite of passage that it is like I know speaking to the draftees when we bring them in now it's like you go in here every player that's come to this club has, has done it they've all come through together um, it's just become a real tradition it, it feels has. like. It has and I think in some ways maybe this is simplifying it but it's almost let's make you comfortable with what the club is offering and how you're transitioning into being a professional um, we'll do that first and then also uh, work to get you comfortable in Sydney. Because I think it, it is a 
probably as comfortable a start as you can make and you know this better than anyone being in recruiting is these players are going from uh, amateurs who are at school without a driver's licence living at home to coming to a big city like Sydney. I mean, Jeremy Cameron, he's come from a town of 200 in Dartmoor to you know a city of 6 million and he's had to get his driver's licence and work out what traffic lights are and all of that. So uh, Breakfast Point was... You know, you talked about decisions before. Breakfast Point's been a fundamental decision and you know, I think it holds true as what you said a minute ago that players still coming through there feel that that's the pathway everyone before them's taken. It's been great. Yeah. Do you have to ask different things of the players that come in here because of the, the club they're going to and the, the fact that you're trying to build something and connect to a, a community that's quite broad and, and new to AFL? Do the, yeah, do the players here play a part in bringing people to the footy club? Yeah, they do, absolutely. And I think, you know, they play probably more of a marketing or sales role for the AFL than, you know, what you have to if you're playing footy in Melbourne. And you know, and for them too, I mean, they've the ones the players that have been here from day one, uh, like Callum Ward, would would be as satisfied and and impressed, I think, by the growth in the participation base and and all those other measures uh, as anyone would because you go into primary schools and there's no orange um they were only invented eight years ago and the and the game is pretty new to this this particular part of australia so to see uh, the fan growth um, would be very satisfying for them and i think you know people like phil davis are often asking you know where's our membership up to what are we hoping for this year um, they want to see the game, the, the club growing on and off the field, but they play an enormous role. Again, I think Sheedy, who was um, you know, the first full-time development officer for the VFL back in the late 70s, early 80s, he impressed upon the players really early on what a great development opportunity that is for them. I remember a famous meeting where he actually um, he held up a footy that had been signed by the players and was critical of the fact that he couldn't decipher some of the autographs and he particularly picked out Tom Bug. And I remember he said to the group, how do you muck up a name like Tom Bug? This kid, <laughs> who, the kid who gets your football needs to be able to go home and tell his mum and dad who signed his football. Now, I want you to work on signing Tom Bug. So he gave, he gave all sorts of lessons, but one of them was just to be very open with the community. Connect with them and get to know them. What about, and this is going to be a broad question, but this community in general like it's big it's kind of spread out it's very different to melbourne clubs who i know have huge memberships down there and have supporters who don't live in the in essendon or collingwood or richmond or wherever but they have very distinct communities and history um when you're trying to create history and do it with such a yeah in such a broad area how do you do it uh look it's we're probably still trying to do it it's an interesting uh, it's, it's it's probably the most um, the best marketing opportunity the AFL's had ever had, and probably also the most complex. I remember Demetrio saying when he uh, announced the license that Western Sydney for him uh, represented represented everything the AFL was good at, uh, and that that gave him confidence in rolling out the plan because it was decisions like um, not decisions opportunities like the diversity of the community, the fact that. Uh, Western Sydney is very much based on on families that it's and and it's a region that is passionate about sport and what sport can do 
as a as a vehicle for sort of social change. Um, yeah, where our position from day one has been about providing family entertainment, family connection, and uh, you know I think in a short space of time in a really cluttered market we've grown our fan base significantly. We're as impatient as anybody to you know continue to fill spotless stadium, but. Um, it's understanding that when you bring in a, an employee or a community leader, in fact, like Ali Farage, that he's got a lot to teach uh, the AFL and the Giants staff and the players about um, how to connect with particular pockets and communities in Western Sydney. And so, you know, we've done a lot of work with the local councils just trying to tailor our community programs or our um, approach to make sure that, you know, we're delivering on their expectations. I don't, I'm absolutely convinced that there's no way you could just bring in a, a, a cookie cutter AFL club model out of Melbourne um, and just roll it out here. And in fact, you know, sometimes we've had staff that we've got up from AFL clubs in Melbourne or Adelaide or Perth join our club and they just find it very, very difficult because the phones early on weren't ringing. They're ringing a bit more now, but this is more about uh, promoting and selling and it's two parts, Emma. It's, you've actually got to develop an awareness and understanding of the game and then explain who the Giants are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you're not coming into a market where people understand the game a lot of the time, uh, but we're certainly making inroads. Have there been any turning points with it, anything that's happened or where you've thought, we've just felt, oh, there's a connection here with, with the people we're trying to, to take this to? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, one as recent... Uh, as your as your time at the club was Nick Shipley, um, you know the academy is you know a great vehicle for us both in terms of community connection and hopefully a pathway um, from a talent point of view. And Nick Shipley, as a young man who you know left soccer basically to um, come into the uh, the Giants Academy and then make our list, and then a year later Kieran Briggs, same thing. They're the local hero stories that we need to make sure that, um, you know, the, the sort of peer group or uh, broader school communities or club communities that both those guys are from, uh, you can see the response you get when you're able to get a player like that through. Um, I mean, it's it's a line that the AFL's had in its strategic thinking for a long time, but you've got to be able to see a reflection of yourself. And I think if you're a young boy from Campbelltown and you look at some of these players coming through, then you start to think, actually, this, this might be a game I should consider. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. They can look at him and think, that could be me yeah. one day, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. What about bringing staff up? Because a lot of people who work here have, have come from somewhere else. Um, leading them and making them feel like what they're doing is, is creating something. How do, you, how do you go about that compared to what you, you think you might do if you were at a Melbourne club? Well, I think you've got to be, first of all, you've got to be very driven and probably self-motivated in a lot of ways. And you know, I talked about the resilience that Kevin Sheedy helped, I think, embed in the culture of the club. But uh, quite apart from being an AFL club, this has been a start-up business, um, like a start-up organisation. And so uh, you've got to be prepared to fail. You've got to be prepared to acknowledge mistakes or, you know, things that aren't working. And, and you're at a start-up in you know, in 2012 when you're coming into the club um, or to the end of 2011, we hadn't quite finalised colours. We hadn't picked a theme song. We didn't have any players yet. We didn't have a permanent training base. So all these components have been 
um, built in different ways and and built by uh, staff who I think have been very, very passionate about the sort of legacy they're able to have. I, I think the unique thing about working at the Giants in comparison to clubs that are 120, 130 years old is that you've got an opportunity to really be part of writing history every day and creating a legacy that, you know, in years to come, our staff will be able to say and our players will say, oh, I was there when that club started or in the early years of that club. So that's helped. As I said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of staff that we've had from um, established states who find the environment challenging from the point of view of um, how hard it might have been early on. But right now, this is a really exciting place to be. And I think, uh, you know, our culture is very, very strong and we attract and retain some great staff. But the appointments early on of people who'd been there and done that, and if you looked at the sort of premierships that are around that early football department, um, Gabby Allen, Kevin Sheedy, Stephen Silvani, Luke Power, Chad Corns, Dean Brogan, you know, James McDonald, who'd captain Melbourne... Yeah, they they all brought uh, a wealth of experience that I think um, merged together to create something pretty unique for our club. Yeah, absolutely. Even the way that they helped set Phil and Cal on course for what they've gone on and done. Because what do you remember of those two as kids when they when they got up here and was kind of thrust into these leadership roles themselves? I saw the other day that they're the longest serving captains in the AFL at the moment it's hard to believe that just how it probably tells you how quickly these years are gone but I, I'm sure Callan wouldn't mind me saying that you know his initial response to Sheeds when he asked him to be captain was that he didn't want to do it and uh, Sheeds gave him a bit more time and said I want you to think about it because I actually I need you to do it and you're capable of doing it but you know those two guys have been brilliant together complement each other well um and it was very easy to forget because the other guys who came in in year one were all 18. It was just easy to forget that these guys were 21. Um, you know, very, very young men themselves. And, uh, you know, they've, been, they've both proven to be shrewd choices by Stephen Silvani and Gabby Allen at the time. Um, brilliant choices and, you know, great young men on the field and off the field. Yeah. Have they, has it changed them having that role so. or have they just sort of grown with it? I think so. I mean, there's, you know, I've often told people who we have bring sponsors in who might be new to the code, and they they think uh, Callum Ward's a missing Hemsworth brother. They um, they actually want to know is he an actor? Does he model? What does he do? But um, he'd like they, to hear that. Yeah, I think he's enjoyed that. But he's um, oh, he he said I think they're both developed. They're both developed significantly, and they've yeah, in some ways they were um. They had it thrust upon them, didn't they? They had to lead and they had to... Um, had to work it out, um, I suppose. Yeah, they did. And, you know, they've, they've absolutely done a brilliant job. But I love right now the depth of leadership that's in our group. Um, when you look at the likes of Stephen Canelio and Josh Kelly and then Tim Tarano and others coming through and what Matt DeBoer's brought to us since he came from Fremantle, I think we've got a very strong depth of leadership. But Ward and Davis have been amazing. Time for a quick break on the Leaders podcast to talk about Giants of Business. This exciting new project is part of the Giants commercial program, focusing on making connections and business referrals across the Giants corporate partner network. The Giants have a strong portfolio of blue chip corporate and community partners, with this program making it easier to connect than ever before. Through a range of events and strategic introductions, the Giants of Business program is an opportunity not to be missed. 
For more information, contact Anthony Butler at the Giants. His details are available in the description of this podcast. Now back to the leaders. How much fun was it in the early days to, like, yeah, the colours, the theme song, all those things that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, a lot of fun. I, I wasn't here actually when we picked the, the colours, but I remember Dale Holmes um, really going through the, I think, the the colour palette with the AFL and working out what colours were left over and, you know, Fremantle had taken purple and was green an option and, you know, that was a critical decision. So was the, the Giants uh, as a name. Um uh, Harry Angus from the Cat Empire wrote our theme song. He's a he's an avid AFL fan. He'd researched heavily. He wanted to write an original song. He, originally, when he emailed it in, the email I think went unanswered because these are the sorts of things that happen when you're just trying to get organised. I think it went unanswered for a couple of months, and I think he was trying to work out um, what had happened to it. Well, there's a big, big sound from the west of the town. It's the sound of the mighty giants. You feel the ground is shaking. The other teams are quaking in their boots before the giants. We take the longest strides and the highest leap. We're stronger than the rest. We're the greater Western Sydney giants. The biggest and the best. But, you know, we reckon we've got as good a song as there is in the AFL. It's probably us and Richmond and then Daylight, in my view. But, um, yeah, we've got a great song. And, you know, it was a brilliant, it was a brilliant session where uh, Harry Angus came up and there was the player leadership group, Kevin Sheedy and Mark Williams, sitting around um, workshopping the song. Um, and Mark Williams is the one who gave, who inserted the words Never Surrender into oh, the song. Okay. Yep. Uh, into the song. And, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, well, it's effectively become our yellow and black in a lot of ways. All those decisions were fantastic. I mean, you look at some of the early mascot designs and they were... You, you're glad we made some decisions to move away from some of them and go with the ones we did, but um, all, all part of being a starter. I was going to say, what are some of the things that you look back on and, and were missteps or things that you should have done differently or things that you can't know until you're in that position and have to, I'm have great, to make a I'm call? I'm grateful for the fact that we've had the player retention track record we've had given that a training facility wasn't in place. I think if we had our time again at the AFL, you fundamentally you really can't start a club without proper training facilities and it's taken Gold Coast's commonwealth games funding to to sort of sort that out um and that's been an issue uh yeah it's probably conjecture over whether israel falau's recruitment was a good idea or not i was heavily involved in that um as i was with the carmichael hunt one and you know i think it it got us into the papers got us into the media and it was a sincere attempt too because we think uh if he'd stuck at it um he might have he might have proved to be a bit more successful again I think if he'd gone to a club like the Swans or Collingwood or somewhere else, he would have been uh, he would have been afforded a better opportunity to develop. But um, I think there's arguments for and against that. I'm I'm somebody as you'd expect who defends that um, decision, but others would say that um, you know it it didn't didn't work out. 
Um, is there a ba- was there a balance to be struck early on between we're, we're a real proper genuine AFL football club, and but we also need to do things to make people notice us. Oh, I think so, and I think by his own admission, Sheedy would say that he um, he ran a fine line on that. Like he would deliberately stir up the Swans. Yeah, um, and he caused a lot of angst with the Swans, which you know I think the rivalry, um, I think the rivalry between us and the Swans um, has been developed really, really quickly. There were some who said it's going to take a long time to develop. It developed quickly, and it's and it's good for the game that it did. It should, it needs to be a situation where it doesn't matter where the two clubs are on the ladder that people are looking at at the date of those two games and and coming to them. And and clearly the. Uh, uh, the recruitment of Franklin at the time, Buddy Franklin to the Swans at a time when we were also um, putting an offer in uh, um, sparked a, a really good, um, I guess, a cornerstone for us to build the rivalry upon. It was great. It was actually worked out well. And, uh, you know, when he when he decided that was the path he was going to take, Gabby Allen moved pretty quickly and I think uh, spent that money on Mumford Shaw and at the time Josh Hunt within about seven days of the decision. So we moved pretty quickly, uh, moved on really well. So yeah, Franklin's been brilliant for the game in Sydney, but I think we've um, we've uh, been able to build a very strong list ourselves. Absolutely. What, is, what are the toughest things you've had to deal with in, in maybe in the last few years as things have started to get established and, uh, and in place? What are, yeah, the biggest challenges or the, the things that have really made you had to think? Oh, the biggest the biggest challenge for us as a club is we're competing in two ways. We compete locally in the, in a cluttered sporting market to try to um, get some attention uh, and make sure that our sponsors feel that there's you know something building and that we're connecting well. So you compete locally, but then you're competing with seventeen other clubs. And you know, in the last few years, we've played finals on a turnover of forty seven million dollars, where. Uh, other clubs are, you know, turning over eighty-five to ninety. Um, there's a perception that there's a significant investment that goes into clubs like us and the Gold Coast Suns. I just see it as an appropriate investment. You're an eight-year-old club in a foreign territory trying to compete with hundred and fifty-year-old clubs, and um, so I think that's an appropriate investment. And the AFL is already getting a return through broadcasting and, and other revenue streams. So. Um, it's building that commercial base. We're at $47 million now to really compete hard. We need to keep building that up. But uh, importantly, our football department and the player payments are fully funded. And so that you know, core product, if you like, is really protected. Um, I, I think the most difficult challenge in the last few years has been this... has uh, been having to try to debate and defend things like the academy rules... Um, defend the sort of investment that's being made you know this perception that the Giants are going to get too strong Um, you know our first few years were unwatchable with a bunch of talented kids and then uh, pretty quickly um, you know the fear was that we were going to become too strong on field I think we've been very very good and hopefully we've set ourselves up set ourselves up for a sustained crack at it but um, yeah just those moving parts all the time about as you're trying to get a a business going and a footy club going. Some some of the rule changes and other changes that have uh, have been uh, thrown at us have have been a little bit difficult at times. Yeah, and your response to that, I suppose is is important, isn't it? Like because you're it's everyone here who works here. This is who we are and what we stand for. And 
Yeah. How we react when sort of people come at us. I mean, the academy is a classic one because, uh, you know, when we started this club, 11% of the talent pool came from New South Wales and Queensland for the AFL. I mean, that's an embarrassing, that's an embarrassing statistic if you're trying to claim to be the national game. So the four academies were critical to try to move the needle on that. And, you know, we've shown some inroads and, and it's the, the, the strange thing is when, in some ways the more successful the academy's been, the more uh, there's pressure on to sort of water it down. Uh, it should be something that attracts more investment. It should be something that's celebrated. But we'll continue as we've talked, Shipley and Briggs and others, Hopper, um, we've got a lot of kids out of our academy on the list. And the consequence of us listing one means that there's an extra Victorian or South Australian for the other clubs to look at. So uh, we're trying to grow the pool and I think it's working. Yeah. What's next on your list of things to do? Well, we never probably envisaged an AFLW team. I'm sure when we appointed Alan McConnell, he didn't think he'd be coaching the Giants women's team. But uh, that's been brilliant. Netball's been brilliant. I want to make sure that both those programs continue to grow significantly it's changed our club our club uh was always very strong uh but to have those two women's platforms and you know and be aspirational now in a pathway for for young girls uh is brilliant um we've had an amazing uh partnership with the act we're in discussions at the moment about extending that at the time it probably felt really visionary when you do a 10-year deal it was a very very smart uh length of term that Dale Holmes and Gillen and others looked at um, and five and a half thousand members down there sell out crowds it's been great Jimmy Bartell who's just joined our board made the point to uh, to us the other day that it really doesn't matter how big a crowd you play in front of as long as it's your crowd uh, and he said that's what the success at Geelong was built on when they were getting 20,000 a week um, so we get 14 or 15 in the ACT which is great um, we're ambitious about building our crowds significantly at Spotless Stadium. Uh, we want to win premierships. <laughs> That's what we really want to do. I want to make sure that particularly for people who've been here a long time and our fans who've followed us since day one and sponsors who've hung in and supported us, you'd, you'd, just, you'd just love to see uh, them get rewarded with the Giants premiership in men's and women's at some stage. Yeah, that'd be nice. Absolutely. Excellent. All right, Dave. Well, that might do it, I think. Thanks, Emma. Thank you for sharing some of those stories with us. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Leaders. If you're not already a Giants member, head to membership.gwsgiants.com.au to sign up today. There's a package to suit everyone. And make sure to subscribe to The Leaders so you don't miss next week's episode featuring co-captain Phil Davis. Phil Davis.